See, biblical courage tells the truth about the God we serve. It's lodged in relationship. How he wants it done. The fact that he is with us. And what he has prescribed in terms of his truth to frame it out. And we need to get there. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. Are you biblically and spiritually courageous? Is your faith firmly in God? Well, the Old Testament character Joshua learned how important it was to be courageous. He had to be taking on the mantle of Moses. His new role required great wisdom and a constant trust in God. So what are the lessons we can learn? Well, stay with us for this challenging study. If you're new to our broadcast, a special welcome to you. Our speaker has served in Christian ministry for over 50 years. He's been a pastor, conference speaker, seminary professor, and author. His books include Unshaken, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, and Make It Home Before Dark. Crawford spent over 15 years leading the congregation of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia, and these weekly messages come from his time at Fellowship. He now heads the leadership mentoring program known as Beyond Our Generation. Well, last week Crawford shared four pillars of courage. Here they are again. Watch for a clear assignment from God. Rest in the assurance of God's presence. Have focused determination and have as your source the Word of God. Let's return to the book of Joshua. We're in chapter 1. Here's Crawford Loritz on living a legacy. Now, look at these prepositions here. This is absolutely wonderful. Verse 5 says, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. The last line of verse 9, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, I did a study a number of years ago of all the callings of God in the Bible. I got to tell you what an amazing confidence builder that is. Unbelievable. Did you realize that there's never any calling of God in the Bible where you read the, 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 these callings, these incidents of God calling people, where it's also in the immediate context a statement about God's presence? Unbelievable. And I think there's a reason for that, obviously. See, what I've said this before here, God does not do double billing. And this is where Christians get screwed up, I think. Where they're looking, they're looking primarily for fulfillment and they're trying to use the will of God as a way of self-actualization, a way to feel good about themselves. Doing what God calls us to do is not, is, it's not, it's not therapy to help my low self-esteem. It's not about me helping God do anything. Doing what God wants to do, his assignments that he gives to us they are pathways for him to disclose something of himself both to you and to those you are affect, who are affected by what you're doing during your moment in history. It's all about a statement concerning God. This assignment was never about Moses and Joshua. It's not about you. Then secondly, I think it implies, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. All the resources that you need to do what I called you to do, I will give them to you. And then thirdly, it implies your neck is not on the line. Stop making ministry, stop making the will of God a, a, sort of like a referendum on your worth. I had to learn that. 
in my 30s. I had to learn that. It's not about your worth. It's not about your significance. It's not about how good you are. You need to release yourself from all of those performance expectations. It's about God. It's about what he wants. I mean, it's almost as if God is saying to Joshua, now, Joshua, seriously, you think I tell you to do something and then say, lots of luck? That's, well, can you imagine God ever asking you to do something? Calling you to do something. Raising you up to do something. And he says to Joshua, what are you, nuts? You think I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be with you? Not only that, as you obey me, you're going to experience my intimacy. You're going to experience my presence. You're going to experience my resources. You know, Moses, nothing I ever asked him to do did he do it by himself. Courage, biblical courage, rests upon a clear assignment from God. Number two, biblical courage rests upon the assurance of God's presence. The assurance of his presence that he is with us. If he's called us to do it, he will translate it to reality. We may not see all the fruit here, but that's not my business. My business is to obey. Thirdly, courage rests upon a clear assignment from God, the assurance of God's presence. But number three, courage rests upon focused determination. I, I just love this text here because, you know, he was, uh, God was not just being purely inspirational with Joshua. <laughs> Listen to what he says here. Now, you know, God doesn't have a speech impediment, so when he says something three times, the same thing. I mean, verse 6 says, be strong and courageous. Verse 7 says, only be strong and very courageous. And then verse 9 says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? I think that there are three implications from this. One is a subtle one, and you see that by reading the whole narrative, verses 1 through 9. One is, is that, you know, courage is really not the absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. I would say, and I'm not trying to be, be cute here, courage is fear. Courage is fear in a God direction. In other words, if you fear God, if we fear God more than we do people and circumstances, we will always come out courageous. And so I think that's the first implication. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. In other words, contextually, remember who's talking to you. Are you afraid of what might not happen? Yeah, I am afraid of that, but I got to tell you, I'm more afraid of disobeying God. So courage is not the absence of fear. It is the direction of your fear. Do you fear God? I think secondly here, what he's saying is that, look, courage is like a muscle. It's interesting to me that he doesn't dialogue with Joshua as to whether or not he wants to do this. He doesn't say, well, Joshua, sit down. Let's talk a little bit. How's your courage barometer? Do you like to take initiative? He didn't, and I'm only being halfway funny, but he didn't, he didn't go into any of that. The assumption is, no, do you believe me? I didn't ask you what you brought to the table. Moses tried that business with me. He said, I can't do this. He said, what do, you, what do you have in your hand? Just give me what you got, okay? I'll do the rest. So I'm saying to you, and I'm not, I'm not asking you what you bring to the table. I'm asking you, will you obey me? Too many of us are not doing what God called us to do because we're taking too much inventory of our deficiencies. That's not the question. 
The question is not what you bring to the table. The question is who's asking you to do it. That's what the issue is. It's not about what I have and what I don't have. My goodness, my goodness. If I, if I, if I only acted on what I, what I had and what I didn't have, I wouldn't be here at this church. I wouldn't have done anything. So he it says it's like a muscle. Use it. You, you, you obey me. You use what you have, I'll give you more. 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 Then I think the third implication of this is, is, is look, 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 <laughs> Joshua, man. You gotta get ready to cross over this Jordan River. I need to tell you something. You are going to be, I want you to hear me on this. I want you to hear me on this. You are going to be opposed. There's going to be a fight. I say this advisedly and hopefully in the purest sense of the expression, but there are going to be seasons in which all hell breaks loose. You don't do the will of God without there being opposition. And some of us have pulled back from what God called us to do, not because God didn't call us to do it, but because it became a little difficult. It became a little hard, and we gave up. Our set of assumptions was that if I'm in the will of God, everything should work out. Who ever told you that? Whoever told you that? I don't know. You sit down and read the Bible. Read the Bible. Now, the thing to me that, that is always intriguing about this whole narrative is that God could have just wiped them out like that. I mean, he did it in the wilderness with those folks at the insurrection there. He said, all right, you, you question Moses' leadership and whether or not I really raised him up. Tell you what, Moses, you guys stand back. He opened up the earth. <laughs> How's that for affirmation? He's my leader. God could do it. He could do it, but he chose not to. And you know, the, one of the reasons why I think God chooses not to just wham, just give it to us, I think it's for two reasons. One is that in the midst of the battle, when we press in and see God come through, it enriches us, it does something for us. And then number two, it's for the declaration of his glory for those who are looking on. So Joshua, you don't have to fight. Oh yeah, you're gonna fight. It's not gonna be easy. Now remember, this assignment is clear. Remember, I told you that I'm with you. Remember, be determined to get it done. Don't lower the vision to accommodate your reality. Don't change what I said to do to make it fit your circumstances. Here's the vision. Here's who's with you. On your way to doing something, you need to become somebody, and I'm with you. The fourth and the final pill of courage. Courage rests upon a clear assignment from God. It rests upon the assurance of God's presence. It rests upon focused determination. But here's the fourth and the final one, and I think that this is the essence of what, what God was saying to Joshua. Just because it's number four, I think it really is a center of everything. 
He says, number four, courage rests upon the word of God. The word of God. Now, um, <clears throat> this verse is very personal to the Loritz family because this is sort of our, the Loritz family verse. These words in Joshua 1 are the very first words that our four children heard me say to them. They're the first words that our 11 grandchildren heard me say to them. And uh, it's our prayer for them. Now listen to these words. It's the only verse in the Bible where success is defined. He said, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do all that is written therein. Now notice the pronoun. This is interesting. We would probably assume that the next line would be this. Then I, meaning God, will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. That's not what it says. He says, then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. In other words, yes, it says what we, we're afraid that it says, but it does say it. Joshua, listen to me, buddy. <laughs> listen to me, man. Success or failure is in your hands. You, you don't, don't, don't go around here. You disobey what I told you to do. Don't go around here and get mad at me. If this doesn't happen, it's not my fault. It's in your hands. And by the way, by the way, I have met a number of angry, bitter, disgruntled Christians who have gotten to a place in their lives where things have not worked out, things didn't, you know, you know they, they didn't, didn't happen the way they wanted them to happen, and they got frustrated and angry and upset. And I got to tell you, when you probe deeper into this, I'm not saying this is always the case, but it's been my experience when you say, well, what happened? What did you do? And you start asking them questions about how faithful they were. You start asking them questions about their own consistent walk with God. But see, what happens is that, you know, you, you, you wanted to re repackage what God told you to do, and you didn't want to be consistent in terms of your walk and relationship with him, and you just thought you could take a few spiritual vacations, and, and simply because you believe that this should happen for you and that you were entitled, you knew that this is what God wanted you to do, that this should turn out, when well, then God backs up and takes his hand off him. Now you want to get angry and ticked off at him. Whose problem is that? Now, I don't mean to sound harsh and cold-blooded here, but what God was saying to Joshua is that, hey, look, man, there, there, there are some conditions to your success. And the primary condition to success, and by the way, buddy, you got a couple of million people who are counting on you. I've called you. I told you that I'm with you. I made the assignment clear. If you're going to be successful, then you're going to have to have a passionate relationship to truth, to the Word of God. And basically, and I'll just make these three observations, I'll be done. There, there are three primary relationships he calls them to, to truth there in verse 8. He says, number one, this book of the law should not depart out of your mouth. You need to proclaim truth, Joshua. As a leader of my people, 
Uh, it's good to rehearse war stories and campfire stories and wilderness stories and you know, uh, the oral history of what took place. That's, that's, that's okay, that's, that's, that's good. This, this kind of, but listen, man, these people need a word from God. Why? Because I'm writing my biography during their moment in history. They need a word from God. They don't need your stories. They don't need your insights. They don't need your opinions. They need a word from God. I am particularly strong on young, with young preachers these days because I think there's confliction in how we're teaching these guys and what we're teaching them in seminaries. At a certain point, I, you have to push the thing. Say, Look, you need to make a decision as to whether or not you want to be a communicator or a preacher of the word of God. Preachers use great communication. I got it, I got it, I got it. But at the end of the day, you're not there to be audience-centered. You're not there to have people like you. You're not there to have them affirm what you have to say. This world can't make it without a word from heaven. They need to have a word from God. When all hell breaks loose in your family, you want more than some illustrations. Spoke of the law, shall not depart out of your mouth. You need to proclaim truth, but you shall meditate there, there in day and night. You need to possess truth. That word meditate he, in the Hebrew is the same word uh, in Psalm 1, and in his law does he meditate day and night. The word literally means dull sound, and it implies this. You should so thoroughly know the word of God that it becomes a part of who you are. I said here a few weeks ago that a Christian has to come to a point in their lives where they make, they make the shift from the Bible being a point of reference to the Bible being the context of their lives. Most Christians have not made that shift. It is a point of reference, but it is not the context. And, and God was saying to Joshua, hey, 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 buddy, listen to me. This book has got to be who you are. You need to absorb it in such a way that when the pressures and problems and tests and trials and all the stuff comes, it's the background music and you just turn up the volume because it's already there. It's already there. And then thirdly, he said, you need to proclaim it, possess it, and he says, practice it. The book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate there in day and night that you may observe to do. To do, to do, to do, to do, to do. All that is written therein. If you hang around me any length of time, so you probably hear me make this statement that fundamentally, leadership in the Bible is about being the portrait of the desired destination. Fundamentally. It's not about your skills and decision-making and all that. Oh, that. That's wonderful. Book of Proverbs is there about wisdom. That, that's good. But fundamentally in the Bible, leadership is about being a portrait of the desired destination. And I think what God was telling Joshua is this. Your character and your godliness has, has to be greater than what you're attempting to do for me and even for this people. Your vision for godliness in your own personal life should eclipse the vision that you share with other people in terms of what God wants to do. God said, Joshua, these people can't see some disingenuous hypocrite. They've got to see authenticity, buddy. 
No, 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 not, not perfection, but authenticity. Are you what you're asking them to be? Are you? Do you aspire to be that? If you want my favor and blessing on you, Crawford, are you telling these people to do stuff that you and Karen are not willing to do? See, biblical courage tells the truth about the God we serve. It's lodged in relationship. It's lodged in what he wants done, how he wants it done, the fact that he is with us, and what he has prescribed in terms of his truth to frame it out. And we need to get there. And so, as we think of our church, and we think of what needs to take place, in terms of a collective way, we, we need to hear the voice of God and pray. Pray, pray, pray for us, pray for the elders, pray for all of the leaders. You know, we, we God, the elders, we're not the only ones that God speaks to in this church, okay? I just need to say that, all right? We're servants. We, we serve. Pray that we will listen and hear and hear what God is saying, that we'll be open to that. Pray, pray that we will have the courage and clarity to do what needs to be done. And sometimes that means we have to stop doing some other things. Sometimes that means we have to make hard decisions that will sometimes not be understood. But pray that we will have that courage to do whatever it takes to do what God's telling us to do. Pray, pray, pray that we will be faithful. Faithful to the word of God, not just in terms of articulating it, but living it, being worthy examples. But then for you, what is God saying to you? What assignments does he have for you? Are you listening? Have you taken the time to sit down and hear where does he want you to be? Where does he want, what career does he want you to have? What is he saying about where you live? What, what is he saying about how you're using your money? What is, he, what is he saying about how you should serve here? Courage. I've discovered in my life, this old boy here, it, sometimes it takes more courage for me to sit down and close my mouth and listen to the Lord and wait than it does for me to just run around with a bunch of frenetic activity trying to impress people that I'm a good leader. Let's kick up our praying, but also let's kick up our listening. Amen. Amen. Crawford Loretz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy. And that was the second part of his message, Call to Courage. Might do us all good to do what Crawford just said. Have the courage to take some quiet moments to listen and see what direction the Lord would like us to move into. Hope you found that helpful, and if so, let us know with a quick email to legacyatmoody.edu. Legacyatmoody.edu. If you joined us late in today's broadcast, the complete message can be heard on our website, livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org, or stream it on your favorite platform. Keep this in mind, many of Crawford's messages are available to download for free. Look for the MP3 link on our webpage, livingalegacy.org. 
For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for being there. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.